we just had Thanksgiving Day. Everybody have a have a blessed Thanksgiving Day, I hope. Yes. Turkey, stuffing, yep. mashed potatoes with turkey gravy, green bean casserole, yeah. cranberry relish, naps, football, uncles, brothers-in-law. You know, Encyclopedia Britannica says it's a annual national holiday in North America, celebrating the harvest and other blessings of the past year. Americans generally believe that their Thanksgiving is modeled on a 1621 harvest feast shared by the English colonists, the Pilgrims of Plymouth, and the Wampanoag native people. That's over 400 years ago. And these two groups allegedly shared food and drink and forged a treaty that lasted 50 years. So it's a day designed to express gratitude for specific things. And we all do that. We sit at our tables with our families and our friends and we ask each other, what are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? And it's a good, it's a valuable practice. I highly recommend it. But that's not my focus today. I want to talk about Thanksgiving not as a day, but as a lifestyle choice. Amen. Thanksgiving with a capital TG. So the question becomes, TG, yeah. So the question becomes, is Thanksgiving about doing or being? Is it a do or is it a be? Is it a noun or is it a verb? Well, hopefully somebody's asking here at home, in their car, what does Dan mean by that? Well, here's the thing. When you be something, the doing will automatically follow. So today, I'm not talking about giving thanks, although that's a very appropriate exercise. I'm talking about being thankful. I'm talking about a lifestyle choice that colors everything you do or say or think with the knowledge that your triune God, Abba Father, Jesus' Son, Holy Spirit, is a good God, Amen. that he's faithful, that he's compassionate, that he has your best interests at heart, that he will never forsake you, that he will equip you, he will protect you, he will provide for you, he'll fight for you, he'll pursue you and chase you down. He even went so far as to die for you. Now with all of that, you can walk in thankfulness. That's right, I said you can and you should Walk in thankfulness. Psalm 107, verse 1 in the Renegade Reformed Version, the RRV says, Be thankful in the Lord, because his steadfast love for you endures forever. The Hebrew word for that sort of love, badly pronounced, is chesed. I can't do that thing that they do in their throat. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. But it's, it means steadfast love. Steadfast is an old-timey word that the RRV intentionally retains because it's rich in meaning. Stead is all about standing. It's about position. Fast means secure, unwavering, unchanging. Your God loves you unconditionally, and he will not change his mind about that. It's a choice he made from eternity, both for you and for me. Long before I turned out to be a screw-up, even though he knew then that I was going to turn out to be a screw-up. So we'll read the songs of praise written by various psalmists on David's songwriting team. You know, David had a songwriting team too, just like they had in Bethel and Hillsong and all those places. 
He had a team. Psalm 136 in the RRV is a good example. Verses 1 through 3 start the song using various Hebrew names for God, encouraging us to be thankful to Yahweh, the one who was and is and is to come, because his unconditional love lasts forever. Be thankful to Elohim, the God of gods, because his faithful love will never end. Be thankful to Adonai, the Lord and Master, because his love is strong and cannot be overthrown. And then the psalmist concludes in verse 26 saying, Be thankful to the God of heaven, as the heavens have no boundaries. His love for you has no limits. Psalm 118, thought to be the work of David himself, repeats the theme of being thankful. That is, of immersing yourself in an attitude of thankfulness, adopting a posture of thankfulness. By the way, the Hebrew word for thankfulness in the Old Testament gives us a picture of that posture. It's about people raising their hands in gratitude to their God. Jesus talks about thankfulness in the Gospels. Matthew 15, verse 36, we see Jesus miraculously feeding 4,000 families with some kid's sack lunch. But before he breaks the bread and the fish to be distributed, he stops and gives thanks. Is he expressing gratitude for the bread and the fish? Or for the miracle? Or is he acknowledging God's kingdom rulership and his provision for his people? I think it's the latter, because I think he was practicing what he preached in Matthew 6.33. He was seeking the kingdom, knowing that as he did so, everything else that was needed would be supplied. Now, there are other examples of Jesus being thankful, but one of the most outstanding to me is at the Last Supper. You can read the story yourself in Matthew 26. The point is that knowing what he knew about what would soon befall him, knowing that his body would be broken and tortured, knowing that his blood would be spilled to the death, he was able to stop and express thanks to his father for that very body and that blood because he had his eyes off from himself and on those he loved and on the kingdom. Let me repeat that because it's key to this, this whole message. He had his eyes off from himself and on those he loved and on the kingdom, leaving everything else in second place. We see the subject of thanksgiving being carried even further in the New Testament. Paul's letters are full of it. Philippians 4, verse 16 from the RRV says, you don't need to be overly concerned about the things of this world. Instead, with prayer and thanksgiving, talk to your God about them. Colossians 3, verse 1 from the RRV, Paul says, Be thankful, be indwelt, be filled to capacity, consumed, driven by the same purposes that motivated Christ. That is, the gospel message. Instructing each other, cautioning each other, not as the world would, but as informed by the spirit of wisdom. Worshiping with psalms and hymns, contemporary Christian music maybe, with thankfulness in your hearts. Whatever you're engaged in, speaking or doing, let thankfulness to God, the Father, be demonstrated through that activity. There must be a hole in this someplace. Hmm. Now, before I proceed, I need to answer a question that comes up from every message I bring, every message anybody else brings that's up here. Why do you quote so much scripture in your messages? You could finish it half the time if you didn't do that. Well, it's because Scripture is the foundation of these messages. Amen. 
It's what gives it credibility. Listen, I do a lot of leaning these days to catch my breath. When I do, I look for something really solid to lean on. I can't use something that's going to collapse or crumble or tip over. Proverbs 3 verse 5 reminds us not to lean on our own understanding. Good advice because my understanding is probably the weakest support post in this entire room. And I can't rely on social media. I can't rely on the internet or on Hollywood, Lansing, Washington. I can't rely on anybody else's understanding unless I know that they're spirit-filled and they rely on the words of God. Listen, knowing what I lean on, knowing that what I lean on is true and unshakable, that's what allows me to walk in thanksgiving. Now, on the subject of Thanksgiving, I need to tell you all that I put myself into hospice care three weeks ago. It's all good. Death is eventual, as it is for all of us, but it's not imminent. I'm not bedridden. I'm not homebound. I'm not contagious. I'm just going to be slowing down. I'm going to be curtailing some activities. We just made the decision that the gradual decline that we're seeing requires us to move to a next level of care up. It's going to relieve some burden, especially for Barbie. We've been in hospice before, and so we know what a wonderful program it is. When I was under their care 15 years ago, I eventually graduated because the Lord healed me to the point where I could live and work while still in the end stage of lung disease. I guess somebody realized I still had more work to do, so I graduated. This time they tell me graduation in that way is probably not likely. Now, I don't tell you this to be a martyr. I don't tell you this to garner your sympathy. I tell you this because you're my family. You're my family. And I'd surely want to know this about any of you. And so I assume you want to know it about me for the, so that you can support me, so that you can pray for me and for Barb. Am I thankful that I've just gone under hospice care? Not particularly. Am I thankful there is such a thing as hospice? Absolutely. Am I thankful for the condition that forces me to utilize the services of hospice? Are you kidding? No. But am I still filled with thanksgiving? Absolutely. Why? How? Because I've learned that my God is good. And I can trust him. His intentions for me are good. His plans for me are good. And I need have no fear. Now, how could the Apostle Paul... How could the Apostle Paul encourage us to show thanksgiving in all things? How could he show thanksgiving in all things from the places he found himself? I mean, he was abused, despised, feared, laughed at, tortured, beaten, left for dead, shipwrecked, imprisoned, even on death row. How in the midst of all that could he still stand in an attitude of thankfulness? Well, I'll repeat what I said a moment ago about Jesus. He had his eyes off from himself. They were fixed on those he loved and on the kingdom, leaving everything else in second place. I don't mean he had to give up caring about himself. That'd be ridiculous. But he learned to prioritize. He learned to follow the example of his God who shows himself to be selfless. Paul wasn't blind to disappointments. He talked about them in his letters. But he knew that his God was good. And he knew he could trust that God would use those trials and those disappointments for his own good and his own growth. Now, you look at what Paul did and you compare it to our lives, and we might think, 
Boy, he had it a whole lot worse than any of us. But that would demean the impact of some of the issues that our own family is facing here at DCC. Illness, death, divorce, suicide, business or personal losses, estrangement, abuse, addictions. These are as bad as anything Paul went through. And yet, we too are called to faith, to trust, to hope, and peace, and thanksgiving. Now, does that mean that a Christian should never be dissatisfied, disappointed, or disillusioned? I mean, after all, Psalm 25, verse 3 in the RRV says, No one who bases his expectations on the goodness of God will ever be disappointed. Does that mean you're out of step with the Spirit if you get frustrated at times with the way things are going? Of course not. It just means you're human. But we can overcome those feelings by recentering ourselves on the goodness of God and getting our eyes off from ourselves. Why did Jesus spend so much time alone with his Father? I'm sure that he too, facing what he was going to face as a man, he needed to stay centered on the goodness of his Father. Our attitude of thanksgiving is only made possible by focusing not on the gifts, but on the giver. Not on the things he does for us, but on who he is. Our thanksgiving needs to be focused outward, not inward on ourselves alone. Not that we can't be grateful for those things, but the main focus needs to be on him and his unconditional love for us. Our posture of thanksgiving will be our response to his goodness and thankfulness and faithfulness. Excuse me. And then we can have peace in the midst of chaos because we know that the chaos is temporary and earthbound and circumstantial, whereas his peace is eternal and emanates from the boundless heavens and is unconditional. We need to have no fear in the midst of danger or in the valley of the shadow of death because he is present with us and his rod and his staff provide us with the comfort. We can walk in thanksgiving, though we are surrounded by adversity. Read the story sometime of Elisha and the prophet in 2 Kings 6.16 where totally surrounded by enemies, he tells his servant, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then the Lord opens the eyes of this frightened servant, and he's able to see the Lord's armies all around them. We can have tranquility in the midst of a world that seems to have gone mad. Because as David assures us in Psalm 31, verse 5 from the RRV, our times, our fortunes, our destinies are entirely and safely in your hands, O Lord. Now, there's probably some people who think here, people here, people at home who think I'm blowing smoke, ivory tower smoke. I know who you are, by the way. <laughs> but listen, listen, I'm sorry. I do know what I'm talking about. This is not my first rodeo. I know that I can count on our God. He says so, and he backs it up with action. Now, there are things that can block, hinder, Filter your Thanksgiving attitude, mostly pride. Lisa hammered on unforgiveness last week as an obstruction to your ability to be thankful, and she was right on. It's pride that keeps us angry. It keeps us feeling vengeful. It fosters resentment. It fuels offense and discontent and prevents us from forgiving others, ourselves, or even God. 
So what are the implications of putting on a robe of thankfulness? Donning a mantle of thankfulness, adopting an attitude, a posture of thanksgiving. Well, you just can't grumble and complain anymore, I guess. It's a whole new paradigm of existence. Paradigm is just a fancy academic word, and it refers to a pattern, a template, a perspective, a way that you've chosen to understand life and living based on your understanding of how it's going to end, your knowledge of how it's going to end. And if you've chosen to understand life and living as totally within the purview of the Lord God Almighty, that he knows best, and that his intentions are good, and then your recourse is not to complain and be dissatisfied or discouraged, but to do as David did when confronted by the most frightening of circumstances. We read of an incident in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6 from the RRV, that David drew his encouragement, his strength. He took his courage from the Lord. His God was his first line of defense. Listen, I know, I get it. I'm human too. We have trouble with abstracts, I think. We need something with, with skin on, as the little boy in the story said. We need something empirical, something that can be seen, heard, touched, smelled, tasted, things that are solid, visible, weighable, countable, identifiable. Living by faith is not easy. But if we refuse to do so, I'm afraid that leaves us missing out on a whole other wonderful part of life. I spent a lot of time back in 2008, in 2008 in the hospital from one department to another, and I was cadaverous. I weighed 125 pounds. I had no insulation. I would get cold so easily. I would ask for a warm blanket, and one of those wonderful, compassionate nurses would bring me something fresh out of the blanket warming cupboard, and it was delightful, just delightful. Donning a mantle of thanksgiving is like that. The unpleasantness fades into the distance, and all you experience is the warm feeling of being covered, protected, and in the arms and the hands of a faithful God. So how does a believer get re-centered and cultivate and maintain an attitude of thanksgiving despite the uncertain, topsy-turvy world to which we've been consigned? Well, it starts with identity. It always starts with identity. Acknowledge who and whose you are and that you do not belong to this world, which is in such disarray. I've used this example before from the catechism of my youth, which starts, it takes its, its very beginning with this testimony. If I can paraphrase it, the question says, what is your only comfort, your only strength, your only encouragement, your very foundation in both life and in death? And here I read the answer verbatim, that I am not my own. But I belong body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Now I ask you, if you've truly believed that, and I do, how can you not be clothed in that thankfulness like with a warm blanket? 
Now, speaking of being preserved, listen to the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, as he explains the basis of his own walk of thanksgiving. He says from the RRV, I have no reason to be dismayed when I remember in whom it is that I've entrusted my confidence, that he is able to safely guard and protect the inheritance that I will enjoy when he returns, when he returns for me. Another strategy is to start paying more attention. We talked about that earlier. People don't see. We sing a song at DCC. We sang it this morning. It says, I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life. I see your promises and fulfillment all over my life. Look for the little things. Look for the little things that are proof of God's love for you and that will draw you into thankfulness. Do this intentionally. Make it a part of your routine. Start in the morning when you wake up. Stop in the middle of the day and do a review. Do it again as you fall asleep at night. Do it on your own. Do it with your family. Do it with your partner. Another discipline is to keep a journal. Be honest, transparent with yourself. Write down your innermost thoughts, your questions, your concerns. Document prayers and answers to prayer. Make note of blessings and moments where God has shown his glory in your life. I wish I had started that practice a long, long time ago. Another strategy is to build monuments, remembrances. The Old Testament is especially filled with moments where we see the people of God stop and pile stones on top of each other, and they give the monument a name to mark a place where God saved them or provided for them or fought for them or just showed up in a glorious fashion. You don't have to use stones. You too can name them. You can, you can write these things in your journals. You can put pictures on your walls. You can write poems, songs. You, not encouraging this, but you can get a tattoo, whatever. You can, you, can do a, you can do a special touchdown dance. You can do any number of things, anything that will help you remember. This is why we celebrate communion, so that we will remember. We will remember the love that God has demonstrated to us in Christ. That's why we sing the songs we sing here on Sunday morning or that we listen to throughout the week. I've held up Paul as an example of someone who was, was cloaked in thanksgiving. Knowing that God's will cannot be thwarted and that he will accomplish all that he has designed and promised us is, again, like one of those worn blankets. Wrapped in one of those, you can be content. In Philippians 4.11, Paul says, I've learned to be content no matter what situation I find myself in. We've already alluded to another strategy for maintaining a posture of thanksgiving. It's the one we talked about, utilized by Jesus and by Paul, getting your eyes off yourself and onto God. I'm reminded, as I often am in this life, when I'm distracted by circumstances, of the story of Peter walking on a water to Jesus. It's when he started to give overmuch attention to the wind and the waves that he took his eyes off from Jesus' face. And that's when he started to sink and he needed to be rescued by the strong arm of the Lord. Keeping your eyes fixed on him will keep you in a thanksgiving mood. <coughs> and following his example, we also need to be paying attention to others. Friends, enemies, family, strangers, neighbors, especially the refugee, the alien, those in need, those who walk in off the street like last Sunday during our DCC dinner. Pray for them. Give thanks for them. Feed them. 
provide assistance to them. Do you have a job? Well, then you need to be praying for your boss. Do you have a city, a state, a country? Then you need to be praying for your leaders. Praying for and on behalf of others. Leaving you in a position to be focusing on the goodness of God. And then walking in thanksgiving. Next Sunday is the beginning of the Advent season. Celebrating the coming of our Savior. Then and again soon. We celebrate that by focusing on four themes. Hope, joy, peace, love. Next Sunday, I think Kevin's going to be bringing us a word about hope, I believe. The past few years, I was privileged to bring a message on one of those themes during Advent. This year, I'm not. And I feel really left out. (laughs) So I'm going to cheat. And I'm going to push the envelope. And I'm going to declare the Sunday after Thanksgiving to be the prelude to Advent. And what more fitting theme to focus on than the thanksgiving we feel as we anticipate we anticipate the return of our king. Now, if the worship team can come back up, we can try to figure out how to bring this conversation to a conclusion. We don't have time today to list all the specific things, events, people, happenings, gifts, and blessings for which I personally am thankful My father always used to say that he was especially thankful for two gifts God had given him. First, he granted him salvation and eternal life. And then he provided my mother. Those were his two special gifts. If I was the one doing that talking, I'd add in the gifts of my sons. And then the daughters they brought me. And the grandchildren they blessed me with. And then the work Barbie and I have been blessed to do together, including DCC, in which we've been privileged to play a role. And I could go on and on. But listen, those are all just instances, as major as they are, where my thanksgiving takes particular focus. It's where it sticks. Thanksgiving, thankfulness, is like salvation. Our gracious triune God works out a plan. He works it out. A plan whereby we can receive salvation and rescue and freedom. Our job is to walk it out to apply it in our lives and make it effective, to make it stick everywhere we can. And so it is with thanksgiving, with thankfulness. Our God works out a plan by which his love, his goodness, his faithfulness weaves a web of thanksgiving all around us. Spoiler alert, the name of that plan is Jesus. Our job is to walk that out, to apply it in our lives and to make it effective to shine it into every crack and crevice of our existence so that we can only stand by in amazement. Not surprise. Never be surprised at your God. Stand by in amazement and thanksgiving at the glory of our God. Amen? Amen. I think Ben and Lori are going to be in the back today. Take advantage of that. If you have anything going on in your life, you need help trying to figure out how to apply Thanksgiving in your life. Talk to Ben and Lori. They'll pray for you.